Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. I want uh, Becky and Ben and Brooke, if they would come this morning. Would you welcome our guests, Ben and Brooke Pittman? Amen. Brooke is going to be our speaker this morning, but uh, Brooke and Ben are two of our newest missionaries that uh, we support. Uh, So, Ben, first of all, just a couple of questions. How does a guy from Australia meet a girl from Panama City, Florida? How does that happen? Uh, uh, Some good fortune. Um, (laughs) I did well. So, uh, I actually came over from Bible College, uh, and I was up in Pennsylvania, and they sent me to... Uh, First Assembly in Panama City uh, as an intern, and this beautiful lady over here was the director of the interns. You gotta watch these interns when they come in. You gotta watch them. You gotta watch them. They're not here just for God. You just gotta watch them. So, Ben, you guys have done ministry for the past several years in Panama City and other places, but God's called you guys to a new ministry uh, that you'll be hearing more about. So, Ben, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Brooke and I have just accepted um, a post to the World Prayer Center uh, in Springfield, Missouri. And so we, uh, we see the need in our nation as uh, if you ask anyone who travels from church to church, um, and uh, glad to say it was not the, the spirit in this room this morning, but prayerlessness has crept in. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it may not seem like a big deal, but it seems to me that we've done really good getting great facilities going. Um, not against great facilities. I enjoy great facilities. I think that if you go on YouTube, you, you can watch the best worship teams in the world and have worship in your living room. Our worship, I think, is second to none in any generation the world has ever seen. Preaching, better than the world has ever seen. Amen, Um, I just want to say amen to that. (laughs) Better than the world has ever seen. That was his quote. Yeah, put that in next week's newsletter. (laughs) um, But it hasn't really changed much. So none of those things are bad, but but, uh, in Chronicles we read that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I'll answer them. And I'll pull back all the devastation that you've been watching. That, that's what he talks about. And so for Brooke and I, our, our sole desire and the desire of the center is to see a new awakening in America. And so we are going, we're going to be praying, we're going to be leading all, all things prayer for churches, networks, districts, regions. Um, we're going to be in Alabama in October the whole state of Alabama for the Assemblies of God are coming together for 10 days of prayer of prayer and fasting. Yeah. And we're going to be leading that. There will be training sessions all day. And our goal is to do this all over the nation. A hundred missionaries yeah. uh, is our goal at, at the center that we will um, join in sending all over America and then receiving teams as well to be raised up in prayer. So that's what we're doing, Pastor. That's great. And we're able, uh, we are partnering with Brooke and Ben. We've just added them recently to our Faith Promise uh, list. So uh, we're financially supporting them. We believe in what you guys do. 
We pray around here, but we believe in the power of prayer, and it's good to see kind of that emphasis going nationwide. So they have a booth in the foyer. Uh, if you would uh, like to go say hello, sign up, for, get some of their information. Brooks' uh, dad is Phil Edwards, the long-term pastor at uh, Panama City First. So she's a West Florida girl, if you know uh, Pastor Phil, our assistant superintendent. So uh, we appreciate what you guys are doing. Becky, come and introduce our speaker this morning. I'll give you that one. I'll take this one. Man, I love Mother's Day, and I love it when I get the microphone. I'm so excited. It doesn't happen that often, but just love it. Love it. And let me just say, ladies, man, I love you guys. Um, man, my heart, just for women, love women. Let me let you know that every day I pray for each and every one of you. And what an honor and what a privilege it is for Brian and I to serve here. It's such a special privilege for me to get to serve the wonderful ladies of Generations um, Church. You guys, um, I been reading a book about your who's your people who are who's your person and you guys are my people right you're you're my person you're my persons my people and uh you speak into my life and i love you guys i think we are all ladies we are juggling and wearing lots of different hats and um walking through the same struggles and joys and to be able just to come together and, and partner and know that, hey, I'm not in this alone and you're not in this alone and we're in this together and we can lean on each other's shoulders is such, such a wonderful thing. So I applaud all of you ladies today. With all the technical difficulties that went wrong this morning, that's nothing for us ladies. We multitask, we take care of problems every day, and we just like, okay, we're just gonna roll with it. So that's exactly what you guys do. So this was just kind of um, a, a normal day for you guys. So your giveaway, the verse on there um, is from Proverbs 11:25, and it says, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And I think if I could talk about ladies, that's what you guys do, you refresh others. So. I hope my prayer for you today is that you're refreshed um, today and that the people in your life are celebrating you today. When we were thinking about Mother's Day and who's to come to speak, um, Brooks, um, I love Brooke. Let me just say that. Um, I first get, yes, you should love her, right? Um, good answer there. <laughs> You got a brownie point today. So um, Brooke, I met Brooke, I think when she was about 15 years old, just a teenager. She um, was serving as a pastor's kid on the kids um, team at her church. And they came and served at a camp in Kentucky with us. And she was Penelope Pizza Head. I started to try and find a picture because I knew you would feel so proud with this big pizza thing on her head. Um, but at that point, when I met her, I I'm like, man, what an awesome young lady she is, serving the Lord in her local church, um, giving up her time and her talents, and just knew the Lord had a lot in store for her. She came and spoke to us, uh, our ladies, it's been several years ago, and just blew us away. Every time she opens her mouth, I'm like, what? just um, just evident that the Lord um, is, is just, um, man, just ever living in, in her life and evident there. Um, she, Brian's already told you she's a pastor's kid. Um, she's got three kids of her own. And I, for my daughters who are pastor's kids, my thought has always been, if ever you want somebody to be a role model for your children, Brooke is it, right? 
I'll tear up just for a moment. Our, our young ladies need a good role model. Someone who's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Someone who um, will, will lay down their life, be so sacrificial in what they're doing for the Lord, um, whether that's in the marketplace, whether that's in the church, whether that's in your home. And, and Brooke is just the, the, the finest example of that as a young person. So um, I pray that you guys just open up your hearts and your minds today just to let the Lord, I feel like the Lord's just got something special to do in this place today for each one of you ladies. Thanks. I just pray that you um, forget about all the, the, the turmoil that maybe you had coming into this place, getting here. You're here. Be refreshed. Take a deep breath and just let the Lord um, speak to you through Brooke. So welcome. Give it up for Brooke, all right? Wow, that was so kind. That was incredibly kind. I'm going to move this because I'm going to trip over it in just a second. I can't sit down because I get too excited. <laughs> but it is, it is an honor to be with you guys. I think, I was trying to think, I think this is my first Mother's Day I've preached. I think. And I've actually always thought about if I could speak to moms on Mother's Day, what I would say. And then the hilarious part is the week leading up, the weeks, but this week in particular leading up to this, um, my husband very quickly got invited to travel somewhere to talk about the prayer center. So I was with my kids, all three, for six days, all by myself. And so I was a frazzled mess. And I'm like, oh my goodness, any moms in the house, can you just raise your hand and say, I totally feel you? Like, I, I, I feel like I can be so open in this room this morning because I'm talking to you moms. But, you know, nobody prepares you and you're never fully ready to become a parent. You're never fully ready to become a mom. And um, I have three girls, and I, there, it, there was a small picture up there, and I'm so sad because in my frazzledness, I did not post a, a, a recent picture of my family. So I'm pregnant there. I'm, I'm not pregnant now, so please don't ask, you know. But I have a 8-year-old, Jovi, a 5-year-old, Aria, and a 9-month-old, Eliza. And, you know, as a mom... You think you're, you're kind of ready, you know, and you have the older moms when you're pregnant that are like trying to tell you some stuff. And I don't know if you were like this when you started having your kids, but you're like, yeah, 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 I, I, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and then that baby comes and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so, you know, whether that's from being up all night, which I currently was last night, <laughs> being up all night, or losing your cool because the amount of Legos that are on the floor for the umpteenth time in the same day, or, you know, it's chaos, and it's crazy, and it's loud, and, but at the same time, it's sacred. And at the same time, one of my favorite mom authors says, motherhood is sanctifying. And it's sanctifying because you need a whole lot of Jesus and a whole lot of coffee to love all these babies. Anybody else say amen? And so, you know, just to kind of, um, it has nothing to do with my sermon, but just because it's Mother's Day, I'll tell you some funny stories about my kids. Anybody like funny stories? So um, just so that you know that I love it when I see another mom struggling with her kids and the kids are going crazy. I know. You can judge me, but I don't judge you because I take comfort 
that I'm not the only mom whose kids are buck wild sometimes. Anybody else feel that way? My husband, whenever my eight-year-old was about, I think she was three, she had to go to the, no, no she was about two, because I remember when in a restaurant, she had to go to the bathroom so bad, and I was big and pregnant with our second one, and I just didn't want to get up. Everything hurt to move, and so he's like, I'll just take her to the bathroom. You know, I'll take her into the men's bathroom. It was the first time she had ever seen a urinal. And my husband comes out, and with this, story, and he's like, oh my goodness, this is the last time I'm taking her in the men's bathroom. This will not go on again. And she was standing at the, I mean, they went into the stall with her and stuff, but she, she came out and saw your nurse. She's like, what is that? So Ben's trying to, you know, trying to figure out how to say this. And he says, you know, it's a, I think he said something, it's a potty for men or something like that, and tried to quickly move along. And she just out loud says, oh, I thought it was for the unicorns. <laughs> And we're both like, I have no idea what that means, but that's cute, you know. And no one can prepare you for how different your children are, right? So we've yet to see what our third is like, but what I hear is that the third, the rules don't apply. Is that true? (laughs) As it goes, less and less rules. And so just such a funny story. When my oldest was um, learning to be in a big girl bed, we had the monitor up, and it was the first, the first full day of her taking naps in a big girl bed, not a crib, and I needed the crib because we are about to have number two, and she gets out of her bed, and we had told her, if you get out of your bed and play, you're going to be in trouble. You have to stay in your bed, so we're watching her through the monitor. She gets up. She starts playing. We hit the, the little speaker on the monitor where you can speak, and my husband goes, Jovi. <laughs> She looks up like God's talking to her. She cowers down. She looks around and said, go back to bed right now. So she turns around. She goes back to her bed. She pulls the covers up. She never got out of her bed again, not for any other. And we were like, we have got this. We can have 12 children. We're the best parents ever. So here comes number two, and it's her turn to do big girl bed. Same thing, the monitor go through the spiel of what's going to happen. Here she comes. Me, Ben, and her big sister, who's about, I think she was four at the time, we're all looking at this little black and white monitor. And I'm like, babe, she's not in her bed. He's like, she's in her bed. That's her head right there. I'm telling you, that's not her head. She is not in that bed. And we don't see her anywhere. And my four-year-old's like, she's in the bed. She's in the bed. I'm like, guys, she's not in the bed. All of a sudden, like, (laughs) almost like like a horror movie, this big face comes up on the screen and she starts taking it and pushing pushing all the buttons shaking it so ben does the same thing he hits the speaker aria go back to bed we're expecting you know she's gonna be like her sister she hits it back and goes don't like it don't like it unplugs it throws it across the room To which we then enter the room, and for the next three years, we're trying to get our child to stay in her bed. (laughs) So no two kids are alike. No household is alike. No culture is alike. No motherhood is alike. But it's glorious, and it's it's messy, and it's sacred, and, um, and it's hard, but it's worth it. And so I'm so excited to be here with you today. Um, I know that in this room, there are a lot of different women. There are single women, married women, divorced women, widows, grandparents raising grandchildren, single moms, moms with babies, pregnant moms, moms with toddlers, moms with teenagers, empty nesters, 
moms that are just about to send their kids off, that there's, and then we also have men in the room today. And my prayer to you is that you truly would be encouraged and empowered to see your motherhood as a mission, not a burden, but as a mission that God's given you. You know, it's really humbling on Mother's Day when you begin to think back to your own childhood and the way that you treated your mom. Has anybody had that moment of realization where I have started the older I get and the older my kids get and the harder it becomes of just starting out Mother's Day saying, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry for that time I yelled and I said this, I had this. So um, just introing right before we get into our, our scriptures, um, one of my favorite stories to tell, and I don't think I've told it from a stage, my parents have been pastors my whole life. They're going on year 40 in the church I grew up in. And so my whole entire life, they've only been pastors. And around middle school, I genuinely thought that my mom was not a Christian. Like, I mean, for real. Um, I can remember sitting on the front row watching my mom pray with people in the altars and crossing my arms and going, if only people knew. (laughs) And the reason is because Every morning before school, my dad's, like, home office was, like, next to the living room. And every morning, my dad would be, like, laying prostrate before the Lord. You could hear him weeping, crying out for the nations to be saved. And while we were eating breakfast, my mom is like, if you do not put your shoes on right this second, I promise you, it is not going to be a good sign for you. Girls, what are you, why are you not dressed? I told you five times to get out of the bed. It is time. And then my dad would come out of his office and he'd be like, we just got to pray before school. And, and my mom's like, we don't have time. We don't, we do not have time for that. They have been late five, five times this month, you know, and my mom's just so, and there's my dad. And he's like, oh, we, we've got to pray blessed. I mean, just, he's praying. He keeps praying. My mom's tugging at us. And I genuinely thought, I never see my mom pray. <laughs> I never see my mom read the Bible. So I'm like, what are you doing? There's dad, right? And then it was probably around high school, college. I'm like, oh, she was doing everything. She was praying before I woke up. She was praying when I got on the school bus, but I didn't see that. And now as an adult, I see all the prayers I didn't see. Isn't that amazing? I see all the prayers I didn't see. So just hold on to that phrase, that as a child, I didn't see those prayers. But as I got older, I see all the prayers that my mother prayed, and I've apologized. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to look at a story, but before we do, I'm a huge context person because Scripture really comes alive when we understand what we're reading. So just follow me. I, I apologize that there's no slides, so just try to follow me if you can. So we have this story of the great exodus with Moses. So Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. The Israelites complain, and so they are sent into the wilderness to wander for 40 years. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. Joshua is the one that leads the people through the Jordan into the promised land. And the promised land is filled with Canaanites. And God tells the people of God, you have to drive out all the Canaanites because they don't serve me, and if you don't, they will become a snare to you. Well, so 
um, we enter into the book of, Josh, of, of Judges, all right? So we've gone through Joshua, we're in the book of Judges. And just in the first couple of chapters, we see that the people of God, diso- they disobeyed God. And in chapter two, God tells them, because you did not drive out the Canaanites, I will no longer protect you. I'm not gonna drive them out for you. And because you disobeyed, and the people are weeping and they're wailing and they're <laughs> remorseful, and then all of a sudden Joshua dies. And now we enter this time period of the judges where God raises up judges to help the people. And this is why it says in Judges 2. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. There arose another generation after them. So the generation that came out of Egypt, they all passed away. And now a new generation is here. And it says they did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord of their father who brought them out of Egypt. So God raises up judges. And he says to the people, Okay, I I will raise up judges that as long as the judge is alive, then you will have success. Thinking that maybe the people would turn back to the Lord, but it says that when each judge would die, the people were even more corrupt than before and, and than before their fathers. So we go all through Judges seeing how the Lord is trying to reconcile and and and, and pull his people back to him, and they continue to disobey. And the last verse of Judges says. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did whatever they wanted to do. So all the stories that have been passed down by grandparents and mothers, fathers, uncles, teachers, priests, about how God used Moses, and they parted the Red Sea, and all these miracles, this generation either doesn't know them, or they refuse to believe them, or they don't want to hear them. And so we have a generation that says, I can do whatever I want to do. Has anybody ever heard your kids say that? (laughs) I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And so in your Bible, after Judges is the book of Ruth, and that book happens during this time. It happens during Judges. And right after Ruth is another book that's happening during the time of the Judges, and it's 1 Samuel. And that's what we're going to read this morning. So I don't know if they have the scripture. We're going to read the whole chapter of 1 Samuel because I want you to get the whole story. Um, So there was a certain man named Elkina. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other, um, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkinah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkina, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, 
and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went with her, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So let's just kind of break this story down so we fully comprehend what's going on. Um, I read this recently, I didn't know this, that in, in ancient history, in ancient Israel history, that if, if the first wife did not produce a child within the first 10 years, that the husband had the right and almost a commandment to take another wife because the commandment to be fruitful and multiply was a commandment that they felt they, they could not neglect. So all through scripture, you see this, right? If you know any scriptural history, you, you find that, they find a woman that can produce children. So here's Hannah, the first wife, and, and it says that the Lord closed her womb. That's a very hard theological thing to see, that the Lord is the one that closed her womb, that he had a plan, and his plan was for her womb to be closed. And it says that the second wife, Penina, that she had, she had many children. And it, it, it lists her as Hannah's rival, And she would taunt, tease, and torment Hannah day after day, year after year. So see, we see this chapter one, two, three, and we think, oh, Hannah went up to the temple and she prayed one time. No, Hannah prayed decades. Hannah prayed years and years, time after time. And all the while that she's praying, there is this other woman and if you, if you read like some commentaries, they, they kind of give some imagination to what would her taunts have sounded like. Well, imagine that day in, day out, you're living in this context of a family, and here's this woman that she's bathing her children, feeding her children, clothing her children. So she would look at Hannah and say, oh, have you bought a sweater for your child today, Hannah? Reminding Hannah she has no child to buy a sweater for Oh, Hannah, um, you want to come sit down here and hold my babies? Oh, I'm just so tired, Hannah, because I was up all night with my precious babies. She provoked her. So sometimes in Scripture, we kind of read over and don't, don't grasp the magnitude of the situation. Here's Hannah, and Elkina, her husband, loved her so much that he, he would give her double portions. He would do everything to please her. And here's Hannah going, all I want is a child. All I want is to be a mom. And instead of getting to be a mom, I have to watch right in front of me the very thing that I want so far out of reach. And it says year after year, 
she would be teased. And this is what's interesting. In the, in the one verse, it says, when, uh, it says, when did she get taunted? And it says, as often as Hannah went to the temple. That's really interesting. So here's Hannah year after year going, maybe today is the day that God hears me. Maybe this year is the year that he fills me with life. Maybe this prayer is the prayer that God does something. And every time that Hannah would walk up to the temple, Benina's provokes became even louder. The rival became even stronger, it says. Can you imagine? Really, Hannah? You're going to go back up to the temple again to beg God again to fill your womb? You're kind of, you know, like, it's kind of getting late on the motherhood clock there, Hannah. You're actually an old woman now. I mean, look at my children. It's not worth it. He doesn't hear you. He doesn't, he doesn't care about you. Apparently, you've done something to displease God or else he would have already filled you. And not one time does it say that Hannah provoked back. Not one time do we see that Hannah retaliated and teased and taunted and tormented the way that this other woman did. It became such a problem and conflict in their household that it says that in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed. These are the same words that are used in the book of Job to describe his anguish. It was a torment, severe depression, emotional torment, intense suffering, misery, deeply troubled. Can you imagine that this is what she has lived her whole married life, just desiring the Lord to do this one thing for her, and it hasn't happened. So she goes up to the temple, and what's so interesting, again, if you reread this chapter is, it says that they were, they were around the table and Elkina had given Hannah the double portion and, and that she had been provoked and it says that Hannah arose. That right there at the table, Hannah rose up and she quietly walks into the temple. So they had just been eating with everybody, including the family and the children that are not her children. And she goes into the temple where Eli is standing and I don't know about you, but I have faced these valleys and these seasons of intense darkness where I didn't even know how to pray. I can remember a time when I, I was saying to the Lord, I have prayed every which way over this situation. I prayed left, right, up, down, sideways. I've fasted, I've prayed, I've worshiped, I've waited, I've been silent, I've yelled, I've danced in victory, and I, don't, I haven't seen you move. And so there comes a point in that, that desperation where, have you ever been in that place where you just whispered Jesus? All I know to say right now is the name Jesus. And so here was Hannah, once again, standing before the temple, and she's just whispering, and her mouth is moving. And with such intensity, some would say that it would be over the top. I mean, think about what it would look like for the priest to think you're drunk. That's how intense her body language is, her facial expression. I would imagine that she would have been sweating. The, the intensity, the passion, the desperation because she was miserable. And he says, I know that you're drunk. And she begins to say, no, I'm afflicted. I'm so afflicted. If God would just do this one thing, I make a vow to him. 
Okay, well, the reason the context of this story is so important is Hannah is living in a time where the Israelites, the people of God, have chosen to walk away from God. Why do we not see more stories like Hannah? Because they now have mingled with the Canaanites. And it said in Judges, the Canaanites now, the Israelites now, they're marrying Canaanite women. And the Canaanites serve the Baals, the idols. Well, the Baal is the god of fertility. And so what the Canaanites believed is that he's the god of the life of fertility and also the fertility of agriculture, so our land. So if the land is producing crops and vegetation and it's fruitful and women are pregnant and households are full, then the god of Baal is reigning and we owe our praise to the god of Baal. But if famine has come and drought has come, then they had the god of Mot. And Baal and Mot were constantly fighting with each other. And so if there were seasons of drought, well, then we need to pray to the god of Baal. And if you're infertile, then you go to the god of Baal for fertility. I, um, my husband actually said that this is um, a story that is interesting. I lived in India for a little while after college. And... It's a, it's a Hindu um, nation. And so there's idols, just like the ones we read in Scripture. To this day, right now, there's idols all over the country, in the streets. So walk, walking to the hospital I worked in, you would pass these little, almost like cages that shrines would live in. And the children are the ones that were responsible for feeding the gods and putting flowers at the gods' feet. And you would see people all through the day, the middle of the street, bowing down to these Hindus. And there's over like 300 million gods in the Hindu world. And depending on what you need, you go to that god. So see, it's interesting because our world, we still have places in our worlds that live by this because they don't know about Jesus or God. And so when I was there, I was told by the pastor in India that he had a woman in his church. And the hardest challenge they have in their church is that Someone will get saved, but they've been ingrained in such Hindu religion that they have what's called synchronistic worship. It's where you, you take um, our God, the real God, and you also take the gods of your culture, and you kind of try to serve both because that's all that you know. And so they, try, they have to try to show them that we serve the one true God. But see, the gods of other nations are demonic, just like the Canaanites, and God knew that. So he tells the people of God, you have to drive them out. So this woman in India, her son was dying, and so she needed a miracle. And so she went to the God of healing. And the only way with this God to find healing is you actually have to give a sacrifice. So she cut her um, chest and let blood spill out onto the idol. And the next day, her son walked and was healed. And so this is what these missionaries are facing. And and I tell you that story not to frighten you, but to show you that's what Hannah was living in. That is what the people of God had chosen to look to instead of the one true God that had rescued them from Egypt. And it makes this story all the more important for us today. So she made a vow because in this culture, you would go to a deity and, and you would vow something. You would give a gift in exchange for what it is that you're asking them for. So she goes to God and she says, I want a son so bad that I make a vow to you. That I'll give him back to you if you just let me be a mother. 
that's pretty intense. And then she says something that when I was studying this, it blew, it blew me away in the context of the time that she was living in. She says to the Lord, O Lord of hosts. So it tells us that this is the first time that we've ever seen the word Lord of hosts in Scripture is through Hannah. And what she was saying to the Lord is, you're the God over all of it. You're the God over fertility, death, life, fruitfulness. You're the God over the hosts of the angels. You're the God over the the hosts of the land. You're the one true God, and there's no one comparable to you. She was saying what no other Israelite was saying. They were blending, basically, their religions. And so the reason that the provoking was so that we have to understand how intense it is, is because Hannah's walking up to the temple with barrenness while she's looking at her neighbors who have forsaken the Lord and they're walking over to the temple of Mott and they're filled with life. And Hannah's going, but I know that you are the Lord of hosts, but I know that you are the God of life. I know from someone who told her. How did Hannah know? How did Hannah have the fortitude and the strength to stand year after year and not run to the other gods? The day that that she saw Eli at the temple could have been the day that when it says that she rose up from the table, she could have out loud said, enough is enough. Today is the day that I go to their God of fertility. Today is the day that I take matters into my own hands and the provoking stops. Today is the day that I say, apparently, he's not listening, and just like all the other Israelites, he's not worthy to be served. At any point, Hannah could have followed everybody else and done it the Canaanites way. But I speculate that somewhere in Hannah's history was mother and a grandmother, and a great-grandmother, and a father, and a teacher, that when Hannah was a child, told her the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The stories of Moses and what happened. And so Hannah said, no, I serve the Lord of hosts. I will remain faithful to the God over it all. So she was provoked to a place of deep intercession. Hannah had a choice to take her provokings and turn them into pride. That said, you know what? I will show you, Penaniah. Who are you to tell me that? I will take care of this. I'm going to go over there to that bail. I'll do whatever it takes to get what I feel is rightfully mine. Or she could take her provokes and turn them into prayers to the Lord of hosts. She was barren physically on the inside, but all of these provokes began to birth something that she could not even see on the inside of her. It began to enlarge Hannah's spirit. It began to enlarge Hannah's faith. She had this stubbornness about her that refused to accept that she would be barren. 
that refused to accept that God was not listening, that refused to accept that he would not keep his promises to her. And where was Hannah's womb filled? It was filled in the prayer closet. Hannah's womb was filled with life as she whispered in desperation and vexation and affliction where she took those provokes and it was a catalyst to ignite the fire of prayer. It drove her to her knees faster and harder than anything else. And she became desperate. Her barrenness birthed a boldness for prayer inside of her. Could that have been God's plan all along? Did he close her womb to make her the mother that the nation needed? Did he close her womb to say, Hannah, if you don't learn to pray, if you don't learn to prophesy, if you don't learn to seek in desperation, Samuel will never become the prophet and the priest and the last judge of Israel. See, through Samuel, that period ended. And Samuel eventually would be the one that would anoint Saul as their first king. And then when Saul became corrupt and the Lord took his kingship, Samuel was also the one that found David and anointed David. But what if Hannah had never prayed? But what if Hannah had chosen to give up on the day that the promise was there? Her barrenness birthed a boldness that without her barrenness, it never would have been birthed on the inside of her. In this room today, I know that there are mothers and women that Mother's Day is agonizing for you. We have those who you've desired motherhood, just like Hannah, and for various reasons it hasn't happened. Maybe it's because you haven't found the one that God has for you to marry or infertility treatments upon infertility treatments. Maybe there's those of you that you were a mother, you carried life on the inside of you, and then it, you miscarried. You're still a mom. Or that baby was still born. You said, God, where are you? Where are your promises? Or you've watched the death of a child, whether that's when they're grown or older or young. Or maybe you're an older mom and you're disconnected from your children and you don't know how to reconcile that relationship and so today is painful. Or it's the recent death of your own mother that today is very difficult. Or never having a mom of your own or a mother that was harsh and distant. She was physically present but wasn't a mom to you. Or regrets on how you raised your own children maybe because you didn't know the Lord when they were little. Or you're a single mom. I can't even begin to imagine what that's like. Or you've had children that you raised in the truth of God and they've chosen to walk away. And today they refuse to sit here with you. And just like Hannah, today you may look at me and say, if there's a word that I could say for the season I'm living in, it's barren. I just feel barren. I've prayed for that son or that daughter to come home. I've prayed to find a husband. I've prayed for that child to, to learn in school. I have a daughter that learning comes very difficult for, and I can't tell you the, 
the prayers I've prayed. Or Lord, to restore the relationship with my mother. I just feel barren, Brooke, like I've prayed to the Lord and I've prayed to the Lord. Like Hannah, you've gone back to the temple, you've gone back to the Lord year after year, Sunday after Sunday, you've wept in these altars and you've asked the Lord, just fulfill this one promise. Lord, are you there? Do you hear me? Will you answer? And just like Hannah, the longer that it goes, you hear your rival. He doesn't love you. He doesn't see your children. Your child would have already changed by now. That promise would have already been birthed by now. Just like Hannah, the more that you go, the more intensely that you seek the Lord, his shouts, his taunts, his teasing, it seems louder, it seems deafening at times where you find yourself going, does prayer even work? Is there even any point to this? I love what Romans 8, 22 says in the message. So write it down because I don't have it on the screen. It is powerful how it's worded. All around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. Listen to this. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting... God's spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and he keeps us present before God. That's why we can be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. When a, when a woman is expecting a child, she lives differently. How does she live? In expectation. You know that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting? When I was writing this for you, this isn't what I had scheduled to preach. I had different slides, and I just began to pray deeply for you, and the Lord literally dropped into my mind what to expect when they're expecting. And I was like, I don't, what? And as I prayed, I just deeply felt in my spirit that those of you in this room that you feel like you're in a barren season, that you have waited and you are in the waiting and the enemy is yelling at you, you are old and barren. There's no point in even praying for that promise. Can I remind you of how many old and barren women there were in Scripture? Old and barren. And because God loves to fulfill promises, God loves to do the miraculous. God loves to answer our prayers. But he wants us to wrestle. Because when we wrestle, we learn to pray. 
And when we wait and we wrestle, he enlarges us. Hannah was enlarged into intercession. She was enlarged into patience. She was enlarged in her faith. She was enlarged in her long suffering. She was enlarged in her intimacy with the Lord. It was the provoking of the world and the waiting of God that drove her to the temple and caused her to learn to, to be still before the Lord. It was in that place that she learned to give the Lord new names and to praise him above these problems. God wants us to wrestle to teach us to pray so he can impregnate us with something greater than what we're even asking him for. His plan for your life, moms, yes, he wants to answer prayers. Yes, he will move on your behalf because he's a good and faithful God. And it says here that all things work together for good for those who love God. But he is also just as much concerned with what is spiritually happening in the, inside of you so that you can be the mother, so you can be the wife, the parent, the grandparent, to this promise that he has put in your hands. And so where sometimes we see that God is blocked away or he hasn't answered, if we will take this promise and say, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to birth on the inside of me? What are you trying to fill me with where the world says, yeah, that kid, they'll never be successful. I've walked with a lot of moms here recently. Their kids are kicked out of school. They can't learn. They have all kind of diagnoses. They've wept on my shoulders. And I look at them and say, the world may say that that kid is barren, but the name of Jesus says that he is a promise. He is a promise. And where are the Hannahs that stand up and say, I have a stubborn stance in my spirit and I refuse, I refuse to accept the decree that I am barren, that my household is barren, that my children are barren, that my marriage is barren, that my career is barren. And we stand up and we say, in fact, you are enlarging me in a state of expectancy like a pregnant mother when a, when a woman is pregnant, she lives in expectancy. She believes that in just a few short months, this, this little life is going to be placed in her hands. So she is busy, right? Nesting is a real thing. I got to get this done. I got to buy this. We got to do this. We got to put the crib together. We got to make the calendars. We got to scrub this. We got to get rid of this books. I mean, she is busy because she's expecting the promise to be birthed. Hannah lived in a place of expectancy. She lived and operated in a place of promise that, Lord, I don't see it, but I believe it, and you will do it while everybody else is walking to Baal. So what does it look like when you're expecting with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like when he fills you to overflowing, and just like Noah, you're the only one going, I'm going to build this ark, and like, what is rain? I don't know, but I'm going to build it. And you're praying over those kids, and you are praying, and you are praying, and you are praying, and you don't see it, and you're praying for that marriage, and you're praying for those finances, and you don't see it. Living with expectancy. Number one, we raise our expectancy through the word of God. 
The word of God is where we get our promises. Listen, ladies, I'm just like you. It come 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, my kids are still not in bed. They get in bed. I'm exhausted. All I want to do is, is scroll my phone and binge watch Netflix. Any other mamas in the house? Give me the chocolate. No one touch me. No one talk to me. No one ask me for anything. And if I'm not careful... The promises of God become, become very mute in my mind, and I become filled with what the world says to have in motherhood. Anxiety, fear, worry, panic, things, material possessions, experiences, more stuff. I have to run, 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 run. Because I gotta raise these babies, and if they're not in soccer, then oh my goodness, and, and if they don't make straight A's, and what school should I put them in? And I don't know, what, what decisions should I make? And, and I become frantic in my motherhood because the word of God is not what's enlarging me, the spirit of the world is. He has not called you to be a panicked mom, He has called you to be a praying mom. A praying mom. So we pray. We, we, our prayers over our children are prophecies. That does not mean that you're predicting the future. That means you are creating the future for their life. When I pray the promises of God, Hannah prayed God's promise, and Samuel became a man of prayer because Hannah was a woman, a mother of prayer. Samuel raised up to be the man that God wanted him to be because of Hannah, because of Hannah. Two be careful not to abort or miscarry what God has birthed in you. How can we abort that as moms? Because the enemy loves to kill things at their infancy stage. This morning, you are going to be filled with this word, and you're going to have hope and encouragement. You're going to be prayed over. And I know because I'm a mom, and you're going to be like, we have got this. We're doing family devotions and praying. God's going to move. And tomorrow morning, that little four-year-old, I will not wear those socks. That 14-year-old, yeah, okay, whatever, right? Tomorrow morning, the game is going to be real. The struggle is going to be real. Turning your provokes, when that child provokes you, turning it into a prayer. I don't need God, whenever we say in pride, I don't need God to fix this. I can do it myself. We're running to everyone and everything just like the Canaanites. But if we will be like Hannah, and three, embrace, embrace the uncomfortable stretch. Pregnancy is rough, y'all. It's real. I just did it. <laughs> and those last couple weeks, I'm talking to the mom, so sorry to too much. Your belly is so stretched, right? You are tight. It itches. You can't sleep. You got indigestion. You got aches, pains. You're crying. You're like, I can't do this. I can't do this. This baby got to come now. Any husbands in the room? Like, you're not lying. <laughs> It is real because the uncomfortable is what produces that life. If he has, if the Lord has you in an uncomfortable place this morning, it's because a promise is on its way. But to be able to steward the promise, he has to stretch you. He has to grow you. He has to increase that faith. He has to teach you to stand up in the middle of your unsafe family and to declare the promises of God. He has to birth something on the inside of you before he can can put that promise in your hand. That miracle for healing, he wants to teach you through it. He wants to birth something out of you through it. 
That miracle for your job, it is on its way as we allow him to stretch us so much so like a pregnant woman. We can't sleep. We can't eat. We can't work. We can't focus. All we can think about is this baby getting out of here. Just like a pregnant woman. The fulfillment of the promise came to Hannah, and it says in chapter 2, she drops her weaned son off. He was about three years old. But what's crazy is it says right after that that Hannah begins to dance and sing and rejoice. I don't know about you. I could barely drop my nine-month-old off in the nursery for like a couple hours. There's no way. She literally hands him to Eli, who ends up not being the greatest of priests or father himself. That don't make any mama nervous. Like, here you go. And it says that she rejoices. And why does she rejoice? Because the fulfillment of her promise and prayer shut the mouth of her rival. Penaniah had nothing else to say. Her jaw was dropped. And not only did she have a son, but now he was going to be serving in the temple. And not one time did Hannah take him back. It said year after year she went up to make her sacrifice and she would make Samuel these little linen coverings for him, basically clothes. And she could have at any point, little four-year-old Samuel, we don't know. Mama, I want to come home with you. No, baby. See, I prayed this for your life. And so once again, I put you in the hands of the Lord of hosts because he is faithful Year after year, Hannah took her only child. She put him in God's hands. It was intentional. It was deliberate. And it was done constantly. Mom is putting our children in the Lord's hands. Doesn't just happen. It's an intentional daily choice. How do we put our children in his hands like Hannah? When we pray for our children, We're taking our hands off, and we're putting God's hands on them. We're saying, not my will for their life. Not my ways. But just like Hannah, do what you have for his life. Because you getting the glory for their life is more important than me getting the gain to be a mom. Your glory over everything. Your glory over everything. That's what God did in Hannah. That's why her womb was closed. That's why she was provoked. That's why she gave birth to Samuel. And then it says that Samuel literally slept next to the Ark of the Covenant. He was raised in the presence of God. He was a normal boy. But Hannah positioned him there through her prayers. Your prayers will position your children. Your prayers will cause promises in their life that never otherwise could have happened to be fulfilled. And Hannah never took back her vow to the Lord. And then she had to steward the promise. The greatest gift that we can ever give our children is to be women and mothers of prayer. I'm convicted even telling this to you because my life never stops. It is a whirlwind every morning. It is a whirlwind every bedtime. But can I tell you that just like Hannah, they can be whispers. They they can be whispers when you're taking a shower. They can be whispers when you're driving down the car. 
Some mornings you can just look at them and say, Jesus. I can't tell you the nights. One, like I said, my second daughter, didn't, she didn't sleep, and that's no joke. For like three years, she literally didn't sleep. And the whole family, nobody knew what to do. And I would sit by her bed. I can't tell you the nights I have prayed. I have prayed all by myself in the dark and said, Jesus, you've got to help me. Mamas, you do not have it to raise them. You are not strong enough, talented enough, cool enough. You don't have enough money for it. We are barren mothers without the Holy Spirit. I don't know what to say to my children in times of crisis, but he does. So many of us today are trying to parent without the power in the presence of God. You have been called to be a mother on mission. You have been called to place your children in the hands of God and to release them into his promises. Remember who you are this morning. You are Hannah. You are a woman of God. You are the woman that stands up in this age and says, not in this house, not in this family. You are gatekeepers of your home. You are Hannah. That when provoked by the world, you run to the Lord. This is who you are, so rise up. Rise up when all around you on the soccer field and in the PTA and, and, and even, in, even in some church circles, rise up out of the group of women that are lackadaisical in their motherhood, that are lazy in their discipleship, and understand that you are on mission and that if you're not on mission, those kids will not be on mission. And a mission requires suiting up for battle, clothing ourselves in strength and righteousness. It means interceding when we don't know what to say. The greatest gift that you can be is a praying mom. The mothers who have gone before us, Hannah, Sarah, Rebecca, Ruth, Mary, Jochebed, there's not much about them in scripture. And you know why I think? Because they were doing everything, right? Moses is over there and there's his wife, she's doing stuff and they're crossing the Red Sea. I always think about stuff like this, the Jordan, Joshua, Moses, and I'm the, they're charging, there's the mamas, don't touch that wall of water. We don't know what's gonna happen. No, 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 you cannot take the sand. Leave it down, leave it down. Oh my goodness, how much longer is this gonna be? I mean, it's real. Motherhood's real all through Scripture. But they've gone before us and they've shown us the way. They've shown us the way. He will not fail your kids. But you will. I will. But in his hands, they cannot fail. If you can all just stand up with me, worship team, if y'all can come up to the front. I was going to show while they come up here, it's not super spiritual, but I have these two books I've been reading <laughs> that I was going to bring up here to show you. So if you're interested, I'll be back at that table, and it's really helped me in praying for my kids. And like I said, like we're going into a prayer ministry. I was raised in church. I was a pastor, and I still struggle to know what to pray. There are resources for you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You do not have to be creative in your own ability. 
And so um, some of even what I said comes from those books. But I, I really, I know that I hope this ministered to everyone this morning, but for the moms, I don't know what you're facing, the grandmothers, the aunts, the single women in this room, just women. I don't know what barrenness you feel on the inside of you, but when I tell you that he spoke this to me strongly, I was praying for you. It led over into the car. I couldn't see, almost crashed. I was praying, and I strongly heard the Lord say to me, it's written on my phone, that child that you don't know what to do with, he does. He does. He's not surprised or shocked by your motherhood or by their journey. Just follow him. And he will be faithful. If all the moms can just come to the room, if you feel comfortable, just every mom, actually, you know what, every woman that feels comfortable because some of you may, you feel like you're not a mom because you've miscarried or you're not a mom. I just want to pray over women. If every, can all the women just come to the front right here? We're going to pray together. So just every woman, because some of you are single and you're going to be moms one day. And I just want us to pray together. So first, I'm just going to pray a blessing over you. They're going to sing. And, you know, that song that you sang, More Than Able, it, it just confirmed in my heart so much that this, is what it, it, that this was the word because he is more than able this morning, whatever you're facing. And so I'm going to pray. This is how we're going to do it. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray over you. We're going to worship. Thank you. We're going to worship. And those of you that feel barren this morning, only if you want to, because I understand that some people you may not want to be this vulnerable, but I encourage you to be, like Miss Becky said, look around you, look at this army in this room. Like that song said, imagine what can happen. I believe healing can happen in this room. Right now, I believe marriages can be restored and reconciliation to children and jobs that need to be opened. If we will take the provokes of the enemy right now, let's just take a few minutes. You don't have kids at your feet. The laundry is not sitting in front of you. You don't feel anxious about cleaning the house. Can you please just pray to the Lord and whatever barrenness you're feeling, ask him to impregnate you with his spirit, to enlarge you in this waiting. I'm gonna pray and then we're just gonna sing it. Women, just lift your hands. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this army of women. These women that are leading the way with their children, you know every single detail, every longing in their heart, and you are more than able. So Lord, I bless them. I release your spirit over them. And I ask that you do right now what only you can do, Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts, come and move among us. This is, this is what I want you to do. If you're a mom, I want you to cup your, cup your hands together and I want you to imagine that you're putting each of your children in your hands. You know, I want you to say their names. Say, Lord, I give you Jovi, Aria, and Eliza. And I want you to lift your hands and say, and I put them in your hands. 
Come on, do that with me. I put them in your hands. I take my hands off and I put your hands on. Fulfill all the promises and all the plans that you have for them and let me not get in the way. But fill me with what I need to steward the gifts that you've given me, to steward these promises. Just give your children to the Lord all over again, just like Hannah, year after year. It was a daily decision. You gave them to me and I give them back to you. All the days of their life, every season of their life, open their ears to hear your voice. Open their mind to receive you. Show me how to be a mom on mission. Cover them, Jesus. Now, for those of you that are, you, you have a situation that you want someone to pray with you about, a barren situation, I just want you to lift your hand. In this army of women, we are going to pray breakthrough and miracles. Just lift your hand. If it is a barrenness, meaning like you need a miracle in your body, finances, marriage, children, career, house. I mean, it can be anything. You just need God to move. Just lift your hands. Women, look around. Come on. Let's not leave the Hannahs by themselves. Hannah prayed by herself, but we have an army this morning. Look around and just begin to put your hands on women. We're going to sing that song again, and we're going to pray. All right, let's just pray as we sing that. Just, just through like one more time. listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.